The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Star Trek prodigy story, Masquerade. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. You're looking particularly outrageous today. <laughs> well, I feel outrageous. <laughs> and, well, I think we're all a little outrageous today. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Uh, folks, be sure to get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt and look outrageous yourself by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. It makes a, I must say, a particularly wonderful Christmas gift for someone, you Star Trek fan in your life. I also want to tell you about another show in the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called PlayStation Portable. You can get the prayers of the Divine Office, the Liturgy of the Hours of the Church, and pray along. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash PSP. So we're talking about this latest episode of Star Trek Prodigy. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? Last time, the kids in the outrageous Akona snuck into the neutral zone and Romulans intercepted biological Janeway and warned her that she was dangerously close to entering the neutral zone. This time, Admiral Jellicoe from... That two-parter in Next Gen shows up and on video screen and orders Janeway not to enter the neutral zone and to destroy the protostar if necessary to keep it out of Romulan hands. Now, Admiral Jellicoe, although a very competent captain, had a reputation for being hardcore, and his latest order is totally hardcore because the protostar has children on it. Mm. Um Speaking of them, the kids go to a planet where they can get the protostar repaired. They also meet Okona's former client, a geneticist, who reveals that Dal is actually a human genetic augment. So he's a human with little mm -hmm. bits of DNA from like 23 other species in him. Thinking that he has no parents and feeling like he's a genetic mistake, Dal has her secretly give him a dermal implant on the back of the neck that will cause his latent genes to manifest and make him better. <laughs> a group uh, in some unspecified way. Uh, a group of Romulan Tal Shiar agents tries to seize control of the protostar while it's in space dock, but its command codes have been locked out and they need the captain of the ship to unlock them. They then find the kids and mistake Akona for the captain because he's the adult in the room. But hmm. as soon as they realize that the captain is really Dal, the outrageous Akona outrageously ditches the kids and does not return. Dal activates his uh, new dermal implant to ramp up his genes and defeat the Tal Shiar, but his genes start going haywire. Murph, in his new humanoid form, turns out to be a powerful fighter, and he saves the day and is named the Protostar's new security officer. While all that's going on, biological Janeway orders photon torpedoes, torpedoes fired on the Protostar in space dock, but at the last minute, she detonates the strike prematurely. Afterwards, Zero and Rock remove Dal's dermal implant before any permanent damage can be done to his genes. And back on biological Janeway's ship, 
Insenesencia confronts the Diviner. She activates the hidden robot Dreadnought and then activates her own dermal implant, revealing that she's not a Trill, but a member of the Diviner's race, and she says that he wasn't the only one sent back in time to find the Protostar. The end. Mm, the plot thickens. <laughs> so we have a a fairly um, common theme we find find in you know programming aimed at kids, which is you know you're good just the way you are. You you know you don't need to be improved. You're you're who you are because of the way you were made, and that's well good enough. okay. So that may be a ridiculous trope in a lot of contexts, <laughs> but here it's true. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. not saying it's bad. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, the I mean, Gwen is totally right when she's telling Dal, "Look, you're fine. Uh, you you do not need the secretive, sketchy genetic engineering <laughs> upgrade. That is not yeah. that is not going to be the best thing for you." Right, and. And that whole thing is worsened by the fact that Dal is jealous of Okona at the beginning. Like everyone else yeah. looks up to him and even Gwyn. And so we have, it's kind of interesting how they've kind of have this very, very latent, almost invisible romantic thing between Gwyn and Dal. Like Dal kind of is attracted to her, mm-hmm. but they don't, it's, it's very implicit, not explicit at yeah. all. Kid romance chemistry, but nothing yeah. explicit. Exactly. And and so he's jealous of the fact that she laughs at Okona's jokes or whatever, and and that Okona appears to be more capable, more worldly, certainly more mature, although maybe not. <laughs> yeah, by all evidence. And so that becomes the the driving force for Dal in this episode is this reaction to Okona, um, and then you know Okona's they need to get the the third cell repaired so that they can do the proto warp thing, and. Okona comes up with this Noble Isle starport that they have to go to. and it, Which it's unclear to me. Is this inside the Romulan Empire or what? This was the whole thing I was kind of unclear on with the stellar cartography, if you will, of this whole mm-hmm. thing. It's like because in Star Trek, it always seems like the Federation Starfleet can't enter the neutral zone, but the Romulans seem to do it all the time. Yeah. You know, if, if a Starfleet ship were to enter the neutral zone, it would be war. But if the Romulans do it, it, you know, it's no big deal. It's expected. They also have those cloaking devices. Yeah. Right. But but this is so. So I guess this thing has to at least be in the neutral zone. This See, planet. That's, that's what I figured it was. It was a neutral zone, a planet in the neutral zone, which I which actually would make sense that a black market planet mm-hmm. would, would exist within yeah. the neutral zone, because in theory, it's Wild West. Yeah. yeah, they because otherwise the 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 Dauntless biological Janeway ship could just zoom up and recapture the protostar. Yeah. Right, right. But even then, like shooting photon torpedoes at what had to have been a very long range. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't want to press the technology bit too much for that sort of thing because I'm not sure the story is designed to bear that load. But nevertheless, it's. It, I I also agree that, that it seemed to be in the neutral zone. And so they, and it's kind of interesting because yet another planet where you can't go down to the surface uh, via transport conveniently, Mm -hmm. but it's a space elevator. So they have to, they have to use the space elevator to to go up and down. At least we don't have, I mean, they point out that this planet is covered in ion storms or something. So you have to use the space elevator. Um, But 
they don't harp on, oh, our transporters are offline. They don't like throw it at us suddenly. Yeah. 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 The, the, I mean, they, they seem to be working hard to reduce the ability of transporters to be the magic saving device. Which, Constantly. Yeah. Which, okay. But, I mean, I can understand the, that impulse because it makes for better, more drama. That's for sure. I, I notice it particularly on this show. And I think the reason for that is that these are kids mm-hmm. and they are going to get into dangerous situations because it's an action show. But unlike adults who would be Starfleet officers, they don't have an obligation to stay and solve whatever problem is causing the danger. And so adults who are here on a mission will be and have adult responsibilities are going to be less likely to, and the audience is going to be less likely to say, why don't they just beam out and run away? Right. Mm -hmm. But with kids, it's much more of a, why don't they just beam out and run away? from this dangerous situation. And so it seems like they have to forcibly take the transporters offline much more frequently on, on prodigy than on other Star Trek shows. That's I'd, I'd argue too. It's it, it simplifies the plot too. When you don't have this magic device that can move from one place to another, you know, it, it, it uh, like you said, I mean, first of all, because you don't have the, the runaway, but you also have the, well, we could just go to anywhere we need to go. Right. It it creates more and better drama in that sense. Right. So um, what we're saying is the transporter was a mistake. <laughs> yes, it was a cost-saving mistake. So um, <laughs> you mentioned that uh, biological Janeway is interacting with uh, Admiral Jellicoe, oh, played by, by Ronnie way, Cox. By the way, yep. the transporter didn't have to be the mistake it is because they decided to explain it by it's it takes apart your molecules and puts them back together in which case you can clone anybody you can keep mm-hmm. anybody from dying you can you i mean it it creates all these different magical solutions to life's problems but if they had just said it folds space so that you're now there yeah none of that would be true that's mm-hmm. true that's true then we wouldn't have the mirror universe first. Well, you could still do it, actually. You could yeah, do fold in space so you're in the mirror universe. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Um, so as we're saying, it's like Admiral Jellicoe, played by Ronnie Cox, who shows showed yes. up originally in TNG's Chain of Command, part one and two. So nice to see him there. Ronnie there Cox, are four lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ronnie Cox is such a great antagonist. I won't say he's a villain. He's not a mm-hmm. villain in this, obviously. And he wasn't even really a villain in Chain of Command. Although in Stargate, he's a, vil- a good villain, too. Oh, he's very much so. Kinsey, uh, Kinsey is very much a bad yeah. guy. And so, I mean, I, I'm sure Ronnie Cox is a nice guy, but I just can't stand him whenever I see him in a role. It's just so funny. Really? He's just one of those actors. Well, I mean, just he's always playing these people that you dislike, which is kind of funny. Mm. I'm sure there are the pl- I, places I've seen him where he's where I don't dislike the character, but yeah, he's just he's just one of those actors that does a really good a, a bad guy that you like to hate. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, he's, I enjoy him, his performance, but yeah, he plays a good natured, really good banjo player in the clip from Deliverance that I've seen on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. There's that. Uh, I'm not sure he's a good guy in that. But in, anyway, uh, well, I know he. I've never seen Deliverance. I know he his here. character dies. Ah. But I. Uh, my impression from the one banjo playing clip I've seen is that he's he's a good guy. Okay, mm. I have never seen Deliverance myself either. I'm, I haven't either. Uh, yeah, that's the generation ahead of us, I think. So, uh, so Gen- Jellico says to Janeway that the Federation is finally making steps toward peace with the Romulans, which 
connects with what we saw in Picard, which is this mm-hmm. uneasy piece, and and what we know of what Spock was doing in TNG with unification. And so I I kind of like that they've made mm-hmm. sure to weave this in this 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 common thread about what's going on with the Romulans that it's uneasy. We're not friends yet, but we're not exactly enemies still. We're kind of in between a little bit still. And, you know, he's willing to let this prototype starship with a very powerful, very important drive Mm -hmm. and kids aboard, like you mentioned, get destroyed uh, rather than risk peace and risk the Romulans getting this. So it's a, it's an interesting and somewhat complex geopolitical the problem that they introduce here in the show. Yeah, except for the kids, it's really not that big. I mean, the destroy rather than let it fall into the hands of your the scuttle yeah. order yeah. is is entirely reasonable because we've got the plans to this thing. We can just make more. Right. It's better mm-hmm. that they don't get it so that they can't right. get the plans to it. Yeah, it's a lot. However, like, yeah. fire on children is kind of <laughs> that's really hardcore, dude. That is hardcore. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say it's a lot like the um, stealth helicopter that crashed when the, when they went and got Bin Laden back in 2012. They, you know, the, the, when it crashed, they blew that thing to bits because mm-hmm. they didn't want that falling to anyone's hands. Uh, well, as they and, and, and with good reason, if you know the history of World War Two and immediately after there was a, a B-29 that was had to make an emergency landing in the Soviet Union. And the B-29 was at the time our most advanced bomber. And the Soviets. Released the crew back to the U.S. and then stripped the plane down mm-hmm. to bolts. Yep, and documented everything. And all their bombers from that point on were B twenty nine clones, including <laughs> rivets that were missing on the original plane. Oh wow, that is that is. They literally like if there was a rivet <laughs> missing, they drilled the hole and didn't fill it. So wow, that is attention yeah. to detail. So the, there's there's good reason to to worry that your your advanced equipment is going to get copied because it has happened. Yeah. <laughs> and like even with stealth technology, people don't realize it, but stealth technology actually goes back to the end to World War Two. Mm-hmm. And and when a stealth plane crashes, I mean, one of the most valuable, not the only, but one of the most valuable things about a stealth craft is the materials mm-hmm. um, that are on it, that are radar reflecting or absorbing. And um, and the material science involved in producing those is one of the biggest secrets of a stealth craft. So, yeah, you want to blow up your stealth craft if uh, mm-hmm. if it's in danger of falling into enemy hands. Exactly. And in Janeway, Jellico accuses her of being emotional, like emotionally attached to Chakotay. <laughs> and it's like, I just don't want to blow up kids, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, I, it was. I, it was almost like he was pulling the you know women's emotions card a little bit. Um, if you know oh, Janeway, she, she's not a sentimentalist. I mean, she's she's certainly moral uh, as we saw throughout Voyager, but she's not a sentimentalist. So it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I don't. Like you said, I don't want to blow up a bunch of kids. Um, yeah. So. Um, was I have like some questions here about like why about, about like why can she do this if she can't enter the neutral zone and that sort of stuff? But we we talked about that. Um, so one of the things we know about Noble Isle or we're told about the Noble Isle uh, station planet is that it's a hub of unregulated cutting edge science, um, which the the Federation would frown on. They their Federation uh, uh, laws prevent some of the stuff because yep. you know. 
unregulated science can do things like releasing bioweapons from labs, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, and get out into yeah. the populace, which would be a terrible thing if that happened. Um, exactly. And so we have Okana's, as you mentioned, Jimmy, Okana's client, Dr. Jago, um, is a geneticist. And he was a, apparently, so in last episode, he was bringing her a shipment of something and, mm-hmm. he, and he lost it in the whole uh, mess that happened on that other planet. Yeah. We never find out what it is, but, you know, you can imagine if it's going to a geneticist that it's going to have something to do with genetic samples or something like that. Or it's biomimetic gel or some sort of contraband yeah. like yeah. that. I, I I have a recollection that they actually said what it is, but it went by and I didn't write it down because it wasn't it's not yeah. that important. But um, but so the, the biggest thing about this episode, the biggest advancement of the overall story is this the explanation somewhat of who Dal really is and where he comes from. Cause that's been a big question is who is he? What mm-hmm. species is he? No one seems to know. And so she says he's the product of the proteges of Dr. Eric Sung, which mm-hmm. I think is fascinating because Sung is the creator of data. And so well, until this is well, Eric Sung, which goes all the way back to Soong. enterprise. Oh, the wrath of consist. No, no. Um, Arik, so Arik Sung was a geneticist who came after the um, the uh, eugenics wars because okay. he's alive in the period of Enterprise. But right. he did he did have augments. Yes, right. This was another Brent Spiner playing. Yeah, yes. uh, Doctor Sung. Um, who's that's not what the fourth Doctor Sung we've had on Star Trek. Then. There are four or five at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They keep showing. Yeah, so he, he like was the at the the colds. He was at the colds, or he was he was under arrest for doing illegal genetic stuff, and he was taken to the cold storage for the uh, where all the augment uh, embryos were being stored and released them. And right, right, right. And now, so I remember that now. He he. It, then this says that he ended up in the neutral zone. And continued his work. And so okay. students of his created Dow. And yeah, so he's a product of Dr. Jago says the artificial species hybridization where his human DNA was augmented with the recessive DNA of 26 alien species. Uh, mm-hmm. And we get a this graphic on screen that, of course, the the obsessive trickies at Memory Alpha have oh, yeah. looked at. And so we've got symbols for various species, including Endorian, Bajoran, Breen, Cardassian, Ferengi, Herogen, Kazon, which is interesting. That's the Delta Quadrant. Yep. Klingon, Riemann, Rysian, Sona, Sulaban, Vidian, again, another Delta Quadrant species, and Vulcan. Then we have four that are only from Star Trek games. These symbols uh, mm-hmm. for the Gorn species, say 472, which I'd like to know how that to do that. would be weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, an Orion. And a Tellarite, uh, which we see actually clearly on his face at one of the points oh, yeah. in this. Um, we have a Tholian, which was from a reference book. And, oh, come on. How can you hybridize Tholians with any organic life form? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, there's a Romulan emblem that was only seen in the marketing materials for Star Trek Nemesis, never on screen. And then um, multi-species groups like the Dominion, the Maquis, and Zindi. I'm not sure what Maquis would be. Like... Like what species? Well, well, mostly yeah. humans and 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 Bajorans, but okay, yeah. That's well, they even said there was a Q symbol. So did they even take some from Q? <laughs> Which again is would be a how neat would you do trick. that? Yeah, <laughs> a neat trick. 
Maybe so. they got some of his DNA when he was turned into human. Or, yeah, there because he did get medically examined. Also, there have been other Q in human form. Like yep. the that that girl, the teenage girl yeah. who he came to visit once and her parents were Qs that got killed in a tornado after they became human and stuff like that. Yep. So it's it's an interesting idea that it what it creates is all this story potential inside of Dal, all of this DNA that is recessive that could you know, in this episode we we get lots of it coming out. But they could play it over time as yeah. as he mm-hmm. explores these different aspects of who he is could really make yeah, for he, an interesting character arc. Yeah, and as he grows older, more more traits can come out and become more aware of them and stuff. Yeah. Although I do have to say this is this typical Star Trek trope of DNA changes happen instantaneously. <laughs> yes. Their bone structure change, their facial structure change, everything about them changes instantaneously and DNA changes don't work that way. No, yeah, <laughs> it takes takes a while for the proteins to manifest when the DNA segment gets turned on. Right. Yeah. Um, by the way, so one of the things about this is Dal is now convinced he doesn't have parents. And I'm not buying that for a minute. I think Dal no. has yeah. parents and his parents were also augments. Mm-hmm. That's entirely possible. I mean, it could also be a situation like um, um, Dr. Bashir whose parents mm-hmm. submitted him for enhancement because he wasn't special enough in the, well, in the and, first place. Yeah. And they, they did say that he started out from a human embryo that were then added on to. Right. So, so to have a human embryo means you have a mother and a father. And he's a human. Even that, I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know that we need to take that as gospel because that sounds like conjecture to me. I mean, what we can know with certainty is he's got these genes, but whether they were put in him after he was conceived or whether he was conceived with them is, okay. See, I, I, to my mind, an open question. Mm. I, I I thought it the link, it said basically that he was a human embryo that then they added the D, the DNA to. Okay. So I don't I don't see that as conjecture if if I remember correct. I might be wrong, but if I remember correctly, it was no, no, stated no. that he started you're, from a human embryo. You're, so. you're correct. That's what they said. I just don't believe it. I think mm. that's to juice the drama of Dal thinking he's an orphan and then they're going to reveal, oh, but really, no, he did have parents and they love him very much. Right, right. Because he's because his immediate thought is, oh, I'm gr- I was grown in a lab. I'm a failed lab experiment. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, and and that is, again, what impels him to be special. I want to be special. Um, Jago offers to fix Dal, quote unquote. Um, he says no at first in front of the others, but immediately as soon as they leave, he turns around and comes back and says, okay, yeah. And it seems at first the main value of the enhancements is to kind of turn him into a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) He acts like a jerk toward everybody. He turns into a little Dr. Bashir because he's (laughs) he's had an intelligence and agility boost and he's a jerk now. So (laughs) (laughs) he becomes Dr. Bashir. So, uh, um, yeah, and, and as you mentioned, the uh, Romulans, the Talshar. I really like the design of the Talshar, by the way, in this. The mm-hmm. the uniforms were really cool. They're using the weapons that we saw in Picard, by the way. Those were that we first saw those. So those are mm-hmm. yeah. Picard. These are, these are co- commando type, you know, yep. ninja, secret, yeah. whatever uniforms, the action mm-hmm. gear that they're wearing. It'd be fun to see them in like the the, the final season of Picard or something like that in live action. Uh, be kind of curious to see what they would look like, but they've uh, they've snuck as you mentioned they snuck aboard the ship. They can't get control of it without getting the the captain of the ship. And it is fun that their immediate assumption is, oh, Okona, the adult in the room, must be the yeah. captain. 
Um, I mean, it's a logical assumption, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By by the way, before we completely move on from Dal's genetic stuff, I wanted to point out the way that Dr. Jago gets his DNA is she walks up to him and rips out a hair. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, fine. But the thing to know about that is if you want to do a DNA test on someone, rip it out so that you get the root. Because yes. it's the root of the hair where the DNA is. If all you have is the hair itself, that's just keratin. You're not going to get usable DNA out yeah. of that. Yeah, hair has no DNA in it, it's, uh, it by itself. Um, so um, they go to the, the, the they skydive off of the space elevator. So this mm. is, I count, maybe the third time in Star Trek we've seen people skydiving off of if space you, elevators. If you've got a space elevator, you got to skydive off of it. That's <laughs> obvious. <laughs> it's true. Thank, you, thanks, G.G. Abrams. <laughs> so they, they do the skydive. Um, it goes much more smoothly than it did on Lower Decks. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so no um, running back up the stairs and climbing up the walls and everything. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> I, I do kind of like the fact that Okona bolts at the first sign of trouble like he's out of here because it turns out that Okona is still the same jerk he was in next generation yeah. he's not reliable he's not he's not han solo and he's not riker and that's, they, di- they didn't really redeem his character here he's no, less of he's less obnoxious than he was in the original episode but he's still an unreliable jerk do you think it's the so, last we've seen of him or i no? Don't know. I don't I, know. I don't know. And when when he when he bailed on the kids, I thought it was tactical. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. at, at min, I thought he was going to come back. Or at minimum, even if he is sincerely sneaking away, um, I think he's going to have a change of heart. But no, he didn't. He just left the episode there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He just ran out with, of them. with equipment they needed for the protostar, nonetheless. Right. Which apparently they were able to work around, I guess. But um, yep. so. Dal has this button on the back of his neck that he presses when he wants to change. Uh, and so he presses it once too many times, apparently, and starts going through these uh, unstoppable genetic changes. And he's like all these weird uh, protuberances all over him. And he's got Vulcan ears and uh, Tellarite snout and all the rest. And uh, and it turns out he and he Dorian antennas. Right. Yep. Right. Um, and becomes well, at first he takes out the the Romulan death squad pretty easily uh, he becomes useless because of these changes mm-hmm. and it's Murph, as you mentioned, who they, he's in a carry ball like, because he was kind of out of control on, on board yep. the ship and they let him out. And he, cause the, the Romulans are attacking them while they're going up on the space elevator. And he just takes out the Romulans like nothing. Like, I guess we found our new security chief because rock is now a science officer. And so, Murphy's new new the new security chief. Yeah, kind of think you know Matrix type fighting where he le- almost literally does the you know hand out waving at him. You know, come on, you know, kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, it, and so meanwhile, Janeway has like she she's monitoring what's going on the the biological Janeway, and so she's fired the torpedoes, the micro torpedoes. And to- this this is a really dramatic moment. Yep. Where mm-hmm. I mean, more so, I think. For an adult in the audience than it would be for a kid, because you're Janeway knows that some of the kids are not on the ship, but she doesn't know that they're all off. And in fact, they're not. Yeah. Jankum and Jankum Pog and Zero are both on that ship and she fires torpedoes at a ship containing children. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is dramatic. And, you know, she wants to abort and self-destruct the torpedoes, but can't until she knows that the Romulans have been stopped, which, ha- of course, happens at the last second because that's how it works. Oh, yes. Uh, and so they don't ha- have to destroy the protostar. And then once aboard the ship, all is well. They've removed, as you mentioned, they've moved the, the DNA enhancements from Dal. Man, um, they've got to be so close to that, to that planet because she the, the only when they yeah. they have to see the kids fighting the Romulans right on the space elevator yeah. if that's unless they're using some kind of faster than light sensors their sensors are light speed limited and they'd have to be within a light second or two of that planet mm-hmm. I, I I think in Star Trek all the sensors have to be faster than light capable like yeah, subspace maybe. something or because there's but no yeah. way they could see people at yeah. faster than light wow send a probe maybe Maybe they sent yeah. a probe, a relay probe. I don't know. You know, so, it's, so space communications could yeah. be a drone. So uh, all is well. Uh, Jenkins repairing the the ship's damage and all that sort of stuff. And then, as you mentioned, we cut to the final dramatic scene, which I didn't see coming. I just gonna say that mm. was this was good. Yeah, uh, is trying to get the diviner to re- remember. You know, trying to get out of him and try to get him. You know, his his uh, faculties back. And she releases first. She releases Dreadnought, which was in the table, this coffee table. Yeah, uh, which I wonder, Dreadnought uh, is a transformer. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if that's her own Dreadnought or if it's the same one. I think the one Diviner's Dreadnought was destroyed on the Protostar, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. Uh, okay. so so it's got it must be hers. Yeah, and although parts of him weren't at the end of that mid season finale, didn't parts of him still exist active? Or, or am I misremembering? There was, there was like distorted version of it where you know it looked like it hadn't been replicated correctly. Okay, so maybe that's still hanging out there as a, a possible plot, plot thread. But in this case, we have a dreadnought, and then Asensia reveals that she's really one of the diviner species, um, which is Volnikot. Volnikot, thank you, and um. And so the, hence the name, the the episode name Masquerade, because before this, you think it's, oh, it's Dal who's a masquerade, you know, masquerading all these other species. But also Asensia is a masquerade yeah. for Valnikot. Mm-hmm. She also reveals to the diviner that he's secretly in hell and she's actually a demon here to torture him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It is not a good place where he is. <laughs> so... um that's again another interesting dramatic change to this storyline. Um, I'm curious why would they have sent another one back undercover to be in Starfleet and, or to make make sure that um, that if the primary mission fails, you've got a backup, right? And right. that also leads to the question: How many did they send back? I mean, possibly yeah. more. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So and this is kind of kind of like the founders plot line on DS9, where how many of the founders had infiltrated the Federation and all that. I mean, it's really I mean, if they're shapeshifters in this way, I mean, it really does feel a lot like the founders plot on DS9. Yeah, it, it's kind yeah. of interesting. Now, the well, question is, was that implant a genetic thing like Dal had or was it more of a holographic? I assume like the doctors visually the device was identical. So I assume we're meant to understand that this is a genetic thing. Right. So she has been passing genetically as a trill. You know, if you do Mm -hmm. DNA scan, it's going to show trill and things like that. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Well, so it'll be interesting to see where they go with that, because this is 
they're they're not holding back, frankly, on the story drama in this series. They're not they're not resting on their laurels. Yeah, it's exactly. quite fast paced and and it's much more complex than I would have suspected for a kid show. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Father Corey, any final thoughts? Nothing else here, Jimmy. No, I just thought this was an outrageous episode. (laughs) Well, it's outrageous of you to say so. So I'd like to take a moment to thank our outrageous patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Mark S., Thomas D., John B., Vince S., and Melanie S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek in all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode of Star Trek Prodigy called Masquerade. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And you can also now watch The Secrets of Star Trek in full video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of Star Trek Prodigy called Preludes. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. It's been outrageous. And Jimmy Haken, thank you as well. Thank you and live logs and proper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember... Science rules and science needs rules. Mm-hmm.